0: If you have your Bibles with you, how about if you take it out and open up to the book of Romans, Romans chapter three. And uh, while you're turning there, just a, a detail for you. Um, at the end of the service, after, after I get done teaching by the way, we're gonna do communion and um, Michael's gonna lead us in another song. But after, after that, I'm gonna ask you if you'd stay around for three minutes and I'm gonna lead us in a prayer for our nation. Um, in case you haven't heard, there's an election coming on Tuesday. Kind of a big deal. Um, There's a a lot going on obviously in that and we need to be praying for everything from school board elections all the way up to the presidency of the United States. So I'm gonna ask you to join me in that. Um, You'd be surprised at the number of individuals who have sent me videos this last week wanting me to play them in the service. Um, (laughs) um, Democrats have sent me Democratic videos, Republicans have sent me Republican videos and saying, we've got to get this out there. Um, Here's the deal. What we really want is uh, God's will to be accomplished, right? That's what we pray for. That's what we desire. So we're going to pray that way, and I'll pray specifically for issues that are at stake. So I'm going to ask you to stay around for that. I'd love to take you into the book of Romans and lean back into what we've been looking at. In the midst of your prayer time... Before, we're gonna pray in just a minute together uh, for this passage, but in the midst of your prayer time, let me remind you, the church as a whole is praying every day at nine o'clock at night, not here in this facility. But what we're asking everybody to do is to pray for 90 days, for 90 seconds at 9 p.m. If you're new to New Hope, we've been working our way through a little devotional guide. It it looks like this. There's some of them sitting around the church. You can grab one this morning when you leave, Uh, they're free. And it it will kind of walk you through things to be praying about, especially as we're thinking about the building that we want to build. And on the weekend of November 20th, we're going to unfold to the congregation what that building could look like and what the financial costs are and what the implications of that. So I'm asking if you can be here the weekend of the 19th and 20th, please do that. For us right now, we've been working through the book of Romans and we started in the month of June. Can you imagine? You know, 17 weeks ago, and we've made it to chapter three. And it's been a great journey. But when we got to chapter one, verse 20, Paul brings this big indictment against humanity. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And we entered into a period of time where things were looking really dark, right? Right? He's talking about judgment and wrath and why God has bringing his judgment. And there's this sense of foreboding. And I asked you last week, because it really got dark, we started talking about the specifics of the fallenness of mankind. I asked you to just hang on because light's going to break through. You're going to see light break through this morning in such a way that it just builds hope within you. Here's a verse that we used last week as an anchor verse. Look with me on the screen. Hit 1 Peter 3:12. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. Now, if you're new to church this morning, you might be looking at a passage like that and thinking, How do I get that? How do I get God to listen to my prayer? It says, I, I, I can have that if I'm righteous. It says, the, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. And maybe you're not feeling so righteous this morning. Maybe some of the things you did this last week have caused you, caused you to feel ungodly or unrighteous. And you read a passage like that, and you think, how do I get that? How do I get righteousness? I want God's ear. If you want to be dialed into God. And likewise, if you want, you want God to be, To hear you, you need the righteousness only He can give. You need what God can give you. In the beginning of Romans, we hit verse 16, and we saw Paul make a declaration. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, then you see it yourself on the screen. It is the power of God for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why? For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. In it, the righteousness, the same righteousness we're talking about with the eyes of the Lord casting upon people. And he's saying, I hear and I see the prayers of the righteous. That's that same righteousness we're talking about right there in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. God revealing something. If you lean all the way back into the month of July, if you were here, you remember that I told you the word revealed is the word apokalypto. And I want you to see the Greek word on the screen because it means something very specific. It means to take the lid off. Church, you're about to see God take the lid off to help you understand what it means to walk in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you recognizing what we are about to do is, is not light. It, it, it's, it's, it's burdenless because you've given us freedom, but it, it's not easy, Father, in the sense that we recognize this is eternity we're talking about. So I pray for every person in this auditorium, every person who's live streaming right now and those who will podcast this later, God, every single one of us, I ask that you will use what we're about to study to strengthen us in our walk if we're already believers in you and for those who don't know you yet, God, that you will show them they can have forgiveness and they can be righteous and that you will see them that way. God, I pray for that in Jesus' mighty name, amen. In the Old Testament, in the book of Job, if you've never read the book of Job before, I encourage you to read it. Job asked the most important question ever asked. I want you to see the verse on the screen. He says this in Job 9:2. How can a man be in the right before God? And here's why it's so significant. Everything in Job's life was going wrong. His children had died. His business had been destroyed. Enemies had swept in and carried away his livestock. Nothing was going well. Friends came around him and said, perhaps you're not in relationship with God in the way that you're supposed to be. And he was in great turmoil because he considered himself a godly person. So he asked this question, how can a man be in the right before God? He wonders, can anyone ever hope to approach God? This question is the very reason religion is so common in our world. And I I put religion in brackets. A lot of people have images in their mind when they think of religion. See, this, common, this, this question is so common that it causes man to attempt to answer the question. And that's where world religions come from. Every single world religion, you name any one of them, is a response to that question. Except for Christianity, every world religion tries to show people how they can earn the response to that except for Christ's followers who understand it's by grace that you are saved. You can't earn it. So Job asks the question, how do we get to that place? Can a mere human have a relationship with a God who is perfectly holy? Because it's not a news flash. We're broken. Something is wrong deep down. You only have to look at the news headlines for one day to realize there is something very, very, very wrong. And no matter how often we try and tell ourselves we're good, inevitably we're gonna do the wrong thing, we're gonna say the wrong thing, we're gonna think the wrong thing, we're gonna act it out. And we've seen this in the last number of weeks in Romans. It's been very, very dark seeing the fail of man. But praise God, a window called grace is opening And that window lets light in and shines on the darkness because in what we're about to see, we'll see a righteousness that can be transferred to us. A righteousness that has nothing to do with your performance, has everything to do with his provision. This is good news. Understand what you're about to look at is considered the most theologically profound section of scripture in the entire New Testament. I didn't say the most difficult to understand. I said the most profound, the most important. From a human standpoint, it is absolutely radical because you and I wanna do things to earn God's favor. We want to do things to have him like us. So go with me to verse 21 because Paul says this in verse 21 of Romans chapter three, but now apart from the law, The righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. But now, if you have your own Bible and it's open and you don't mind circling it, just circle, but now, because this introduces something. It brings an answer to our predicament. We have a predicament called sin. And he says, but now there's something else outside of our predicament. But now God has a remedy. God's remedy for our lack of righteousness was enacted at a specific time. He uses the word manifested. We're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. It was manifested at a specific point in time. Here's his emphasis, though. He's saying there's a difference. There's a difference between God's remedy and our effort. God's way has nothing to do with your performance. Verse 21 says, it's apart from the law. It's got nothing to do with works. So hear this, we want to earn it, God wants to give it. We want to earn it, God wants to give it. I say earn, you say give. We want to earn it, God wants to give. give. It's a gift, we have to get that through our head. Whether or not you think you know this this morning church, Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus Christ for 40 years. I promise you, there's somebody in your life, somebody in your social circle who does not know this. You may need to help somebody see this. We want to earn it. We think if we just do enough good things, maybe God will like me. God says, I wanna give it to you. The righteousness has its origin in what he has done, not in what I accomplish. It's received, not earned. It depends on faith, not on activity. So that means God can make the ungodly godly. Somebody say amen. God can make you, if you feel absolutely ungodly, God can make you godly. God can make the unrighteous righteous. See, that's what makes the good news news. None of us, no human who has ever walked the face of this earth could ever conceive this idea we would have never come up with this plan you know why because it excludes our own contribution we want to do something but it excludes our contribution that's what makes the good news news that's newsworthy I just referred to world religion a minute ago it's evidenced in world religion world religion is proof of that statement Every single world religion wants people to earn their way. If I just do this, if I just bow down to the east enough times, if I just go to confession enough times, if I just take communion enough times, maybe God will like me. God says it's a gift. And my righteousness can be put on you so God can make the ungodly godly. Lean back with me into Romans one sixteen again. Look with me on the screen. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who what, church? Believes. Not everyone who works, not everyone who earns it, not everyone who is just good enough, but to everyone who believes. So verse 21 says, apart from the law, meaning apart from any system, apart from any requirement someone has tried to put on you, apart from someone saying, yeah, well, if you stop smoking, God will like you. Or, or maybe if, if you just clean up your act a little bit, God will like you. This is not what Scripture says. It says, apart from works, apart from the law, apart from a series of regulations, God's righteousness in no way is based on anything that we can earn in our own power. Can I back that up from Scripture? Look with me on the screen. Galatians 2.16. You are justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Ephesians 2 8. By grace you have been saved, that not of yourselves. It is the what church? The the gift of God. Not the result of works. That's good news, right? That's, That's hard news. It's good news. But it's hard, and here's why it's hard. It's really hard news to anybody who's seeking God in their own power. That may help you to understand why the gospel of Jesus Christ ticks people off. There's a reason the gospel is offensive to people, but very few people stop and think, why is it offensive? It's offensive because of this very reason. The the gospel is offensive because it strikes right at our core issue. Our core issue surfaced in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve leaned into pride. We will be as God. They leaned into pride instead of into the relationship with God. Pride is the core issue for every single one of us. So the gospel strikes right at pride. You can't do anything. And the beautiful thing about the book of Romans, it's very, very, very clear. The righteousness of God, this eternal righteousness that makes you right to stand before God, the very thing that Job cried out, that righteousness by which we can be made right with God has been put on display on a cross on a hill called Mount Calvary. It's good stuff. This preaches, verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. So let's lean back into Job's question. This is a question that's common to man. If no one can be made righteous by works, if I can't do enough good things to make God like me, how how can someone be righteous enough to stand before God? Because by nature, we want to earn it. We just saw in verse 22 the reason why. It says the word believe. You just called it out, out loud. Do you see that? In verse 22, it's the word, all those who believe. It belongs to everyone who believes in him in his capacity. I want you to know, New Hope, in the last two services, seven individuals have identified themselves as belonging to Jesus Christ, new believers in Jesus Christ, because they understood this. They got this. Individuals who received communion for the first time ever in their life as Christ followers because this light of the gospel is shining. God says it's available to all those who believe. Here's Paul's point. The righteousness of God is not only apart from works. Notice that. It's available only one way. Only through faith. A righteousness of God that comes through faith. So let's think of a conversation that Jesus had with his followers. They're walking along a roadside, Jesus talked about who he was and they're evidencing their belief in him. And Jesus made this stunning statement. He said, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who have not yet seen and still believe. Do you know who he was talking about in there? You, yeah, us. He's talking about 2016 believers. He's talking about everybody who didn't see Him physically with their own eyes witness His miracles that that we believe even though we haven't seen. Why is that so significant? Because believing happens not when you physically can see the miracles, when you can physically see the God-man walking on planet Earth. Believing happens when you believe in God's capacity and not in your own. Believing in one that's greater than you rather than in your own ability. When we believe without having seen, it's because we understand who our faith is in. The one who has got ability versus the people who don't have ability. That's that's the beauty of Romans. Verse 22, through faith in Jesus Christ alone apart from anything else. There's two elements I want to bring out in the midst of this. Look with me on the screen, it's not in your notes this morning, but I want you to see these two elements. They're indispensable, it might be in your notes, but I don't remember that they are. Saving faith involves the exercise of the will, but saving faith also involves the emotion, meaning it's coming from the heart, but it's also coming from the mind. Why do I point that out? I'll show you in just a moment, but let me back this up with a scripture on the screen. It comes from the book of Romans also, Romans 6, 17. Though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. So salvation starts with a person's willful obedience to turn from sin. Jesus said, you turn from sin, you believe in me, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. So we're we're following a step here. We're saying, God, I believe. You can take my sin away. I believe that you sent your son to die for me. Meaning this, this is why I wanted you to hear this. You cannot be saved merely by having good feelings about Jesus. There's a confusion in our society today. Why do 83% of Americans, or 80% whatever it is, the number is really, really high, 80% of Americans consider themselves Christ followers, Christians. But our nation doesn't look like that. Well, that helps us to understand because society has come to this place where they have good feelings about Jesus. Yeah, he's a good guy. I believe in the historical Jesus. Recent poll I saw showed that 81% of Americans believe that Jesus was bodily resurrected from the dead. That's belief. But are they following? Many people have done this. They have substituted good feelings about Jesus for following him in obedience. So we understand it it, it comes from the heart and it comes from the mind. There's a will involved there. Paul brought it out in Romans 6, but then he really kind of nails the lid when he comes to verse 23, and many church people have memorized this. For all have sinned. Do you see that on the screen? Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This fall short is this word Greek in the Greek language, "hysterio." And it means to be deficient. I don't know what you think of when you think of that verse, but it's not like, oh, I almost made it there, but I, I, I just fell a little bit short. Now, God says you're severely short, you're inferior. We remember things like this best when we associate it with real world circumstances. So just picture this in your mind. I'm stealing this illustration from John MacArthur. Um, he pictured individuals standing on a beach trying to jump to an island. So let's, let's put uh, 10 of us up on the beaches in Mackinac City and we'll give those individuals a chore. We'll say to those 10, you have a job. Your, your responsibility is to run and run as fast as you can and jump off this beach in Mackinac City and land on Mackinac Island. Is it possible? Uh, we fall short, right? Okay. What, what if we took the very best of us? What if we took Usain Bolt, fastest man in the world? He could jump a long way, right? Right? Could he run as fast as he could down the beach of Mackinac City and jump all the way across to Mackinac Island? No. Even the best of us would be deficient, would fall short. So every human being comes in last place. Every human being has failed as far as the glory of God is concerned, meaning this, no one will stand before God on the basis of performance. None of us. We have all sinned, and in so doing, we are short of God's glorious ideal. If you're new, to, new to, to church this morning, not just new to New Hope, but if you're new to church, you may not be familiar with why, but here it is in a nutshell. Humanity traded that relationship with God in the Garden of Eden. Man traded in what they had with God. Mankind said, I want something else other than God. God created us in his image, according to his likeness, in the glory of God, he created us for relationship. But because the relationship was traded in for something else, mankind broke the relationship and in that act, our forefathers, our progenitors, they determined the essential nature of everyone who would be born into the human race. Jesus offers restoration from that broken relationship. Jesus offers restoration. He says, you can be brought back into a personal relationship with God. This provision, according to verse 22, is for all who believe, meaning anyone can be saved, right, New Hope? Anyone can be saved who believes in Jesus. There is no distinction. I'll back it up with Scripture. Acts 13, 39, through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things, John 6:37, "The one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast him out." You know why God can say that? He can say that because God is greater than your sin. There's like six of you that believe that. <laughs> he can say that, new hope, because God is greater than your sin. Yeah. He's greater. He's greater. We sing songs about that. He's greater. God is greater than your sin. Anyone believing in Jesus, whether you're a murderer, a drug dealer, prostitute, thief, or you're just a good guy, anyone will be saved. So just as no one is good enough to be saved, everyone who is in Jesus can be saved. Wow. That's good news, right? So everyone apart from Christ is equally sinful. Get this down. You've got friends that need to know this. Everyone apart from Jesus is sinful. Everyone who is in Jesus is equally righteous. That is the wonder of the Bible. That is the wonder of what God has provided you. Verse 24, being justified, as as though we haven't seen enough yet, verse 24, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. We just used that word hysteria and we we were talking about somebody falling short, not being able to jump from Mackinac City to Mackinac Island. Can't make it there. So if by falling short, we're inferior in our righteousness, through the grace of God, we are justified. Through the grace of God, we're justified because of Jesus. Here's what that does. It takes the person who's in last place and puts them in first. The last will be first. Not because of what we've done right, but because of what he did. This word justified, big Greek word in, in, in that language, it literally means to declare out loud, to declare something or someone of right stature. So justification is God's declaration over you. All. The demands required for the believer are met through the righteousness of Jesus. That's what justification is. So the rightness God provides is a, underline, free gift, right? Because it's not a gift if it's not free. I can't say this too loudly, New Hope, because we miss this. We miss that. It can't be earned. It'd no longer be a gift. So here's why one of humanity's most difficult tasks is to accept the righteousness as a gift because with every natural fiber of our being we fight against it we want to earn it it is our great desire to do things to make god maybe you like me if i just put enough money in the offering maybe if i just help so and so Maybe if I just do enough good things, God will let me in one day. There's two reasons that's miserable thinking. N- number one is while it seems reasonable to humans to earn their way, there's a hidden agenda there. The hidden agenda is this we want something to boast about, and we would never admit that publicly. But we want to be able to say, I did that. Here's the other reason, the second reason for that is we vastly, we seriously underestimate the hopelessness of our sin. We vastly underestimate the hopelessness of our sinfulness. At best, any righteousness by works would fall deplorably short of God's standard. That's why the Old Testament writer said, my righteousness is like filthy rags. There's nothing in comparison to the glory of God. How good would you have to be to stand before a holy God, church? How many good things could you do? Let's say, could you be like, maybe, maybe if you're like Elijah, well, Isaiah. What if you were as good as Isaiah? Maybe if you found your name in the Bible and you'd actually written a book of the Bible, could you be like good enough for God to say, mm, yeah, that one, that's mine. Because of your works? Well, let's look at Isaiah 6 just mentally. Isaiah 6. Isaiah finds himself in eternity standing in the throne room of God. And the temple shakes. And God's angels cry out, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah said, I saw the King of glory and his throne was lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And I said, woe to me, for I am undone, for my eyes have seen the King of glory. Meaning, I'm a dead man. Even Isaiah, who finds his name in the Bible, recognizes. We can't stand before God in our own righteousness. The rightness God provides is a free gift, and that is humanity's most difficult task, to just accept that rightness that by grace we are granted right standing with him. Verse 24 says, it's by his grace. Now grace does something. Grace reveals. Grace reveals not only God's righteousness. That's what Paul was talking about. That was his argument in verse 16 of chapter one. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's going to reveal something. The righteousness of God is revealed. It not only reveals God's righteousness, it actually gives his righteousness. That gift to you, that gift cost God something. It cost him everything. God emptying the bank account, saying, I'm not holding anything back because I love the world so much. I'm going to give my one and only son, as a sacrifice for all that sin. That's the redemption part of what we just looked at in verse 24. Last Greek word for this morning, you see it on the screen, apolutrosis. The, the word redemption is rooted in that. It has a very specific meaning. We think in our generation that kidnapping is new, kidnapping is ancient, kidnapping goes all the way back into antiquity. People stole people and then sold them back This word is rooted in that thought. It was commonly used of paying a ransom for a prisoner who had to be freed. And so a ransom was paid to get them back from their captors. God said, I ransomed you. I bought you back and the price was myself. Only the sinless Savior could pay that price to redeem sinful men. Last verse, verse 25. We're not gonna get through the whole thing, just a little section of it. Look with me at 25. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith—that's that's all we're, more we're gonna do today. But let's finish the verse out. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. That make your mind go, what? I don't know if I understand that. Okay, well we'll we'll get to that next week. We'll probably only do that verse next week. It's so. Profound, so hear this word propitiation. In the Greek language, they thought of it as placating God, doing something to cause God to remove his wrath. But in the Hebrew word, when they thought of propitiation, their minds go immediately to the temple, to the holy of holies, to the inner sanctum, to the place where the Ark of the Covenant was found, where between the arms of the cherubim, angels spread out over the Ark, was known as the place of mercy, the mercy seat, the place of propitiation. So Paul is speaking to both groups when he uses this word, this huge $10 word, when he said, God displayed God as a propitiation for our sin. And did it in his blood and it's done through faith and thereby the problem of how a holy god can allow those who are covered in sin to stand in his presence has been solved because the one who knew no sin became sin in our behalf Jerry believes that <laughs> You guys really needed that extra hour of sleep didn't you Okay, I'm I'm working up here. The one who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, church. I'm like, wow. Are you kidding me? God took on sin so that I wouldn't have to die for it. The most amazing event in the history of the universe. Never would such a plan arise in the mind of man. We just couldn't dream this up. We're all sinful. It says we've all sinned. We're under the sentence of death. Yet, because he dearly loved us, he loves us so much, and because he is the God of hope, he's the God of hope, right, church? He's the God of hope. Because he loves us so much, he's the God of hope, he sends his one and only son as the ultimate payment, and he makes a way when there seems to be no way. Maybe you came in here this morning feeling completely void of any hope that anything could ever get any better. God says, I can make it better. I can separate your sins as far as the East is from the West and remember them no more. I am the God of hope. I sent my son for that reason. It just boggles my mind that this sacrifice was not made in the dark, but openly on a hill called Mount Calvary. He hung him on a cross. He publicly displayed him for the entire world to see. God displayed God on the cross and thereby forgiveness is freely offered. All that remains for you, all that remains is to receive what God has brought you. Just accept it. God says you just need to recognize you're a sinner and you need a savior. Your obligation is only to believe to trust in the redemptive work of Christ. You don't have to do anything. Just accept, yeah, I'm a sinner. And I understand the blood of Jesus was poured out for me. And he made me whiter than snow. But not if you don't believe it. Let's go with one last verse. First 1 Peter 1.18. You were not redeemed. This is cool, because we want to trade silver and gold, Right? You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Praise God for this amazing thing called grace. (laughs) He made us whiter than snow. If you've not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're gonna get a chance to do this this morning. You're gonna get a chance to acknowledge who Jesus is and just turn your life over to him. Maybe you're gonna to wanna to receive communion. That People did it in the last services. This last night and this, this morning at 9.15. I'm just gonna ask everybody to close their eyes and I'm gonna pray with you and I'll just talk you through it. If you wanna turn your life over to Jesus, this is your opportunity. He will make you whiter than snow. Lord God, we recognize all these individuals who have gathered here. You know us all by name. You know our story. You know that we need you. There's some individuals here right now who desperately need to know forgiveness. They need to know what it is to be in relationship with you. If that's you, if you've identified yourself that way, I'm just going to ask you to whisper these words back to God. You just do it under your breath. Father, I know that I'm a sinner. Just tell them that. Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness of my sin. I believe that Jesus is the Savior. Tell God the Father that. God, I believe that Jesus is the Savior. Will you take away my sin? I want to follow him. I believe that you sent him. Just tell God that. This is not hard. God, I believe, take away my sin, I want Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to keep your eyes closed. If you just prayed that, would you just gently slide your hand up so I can pray for you specifically? Okay, I see individuals who've just confessed Jesus as their savior. Please, Please know that this church celebrates that. Father, I pray for these individuals who have just taken this step of trusting you it's a hard thing father because we want to do things and you know that but we know that you promise right now your angels are celebrating in eternity are rejoicing over this confession of faith god for every one of us as we come to this place now where we're about to receive the elements of communion remind us in the most profound ways that what we do is not only somber, but it's also celebration. We praise you for what you did. We thank you for forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, if you you just received Jesus as your Savior, welcome to the kingdom of God. Praise God for that, right? We're really, really glad you're here at New Hope and that you made the decision to be here. There's free Bibles in the back when you leave today and inside there's a little note that I wrote for you. And it says, what do I do next? What are my next steps? Grab one of those on your way out this morning. We really want you to have a copy of God's Word in your hand and to know how do you, how do you respond to what you just did. I'm gonna read to all of us, 1 Corinthians 11, just those couple verses about communion. what what that means, why Jesus said to do it the way that we're about to do it. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and it says this. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So you are witnesses to each other. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Don't be distracted by the worship team, right? You are witnesses to what Jesus has done in your life. So the person on your right and the person on your left is going to watch you lift the cup and receive the elements because you're saying, he not only died for me, he's coming again. We're witnesses to that. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, it says. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord, but a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he has to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So New Hope allows time, we allow time for you before you go to a table in the back or up in the balcony or up here in the front, just to talk to the Heavenly Father about where you're at and when you're ready. The worship team will be playing music. You come up at any time, just come up to one of the tables and somebody will say to you, this is the body and the blood of Christ. You take it back to your seat and I'll talk you through the rest. Going to ask you to hang so I can pray with you for our nation, okay? The Detroit Lions will wait. Just be, be patient, just take like three minutes. Let's pray. Father, we stand on the threshold of what will be monumental in our nation. From, from our eyes, we see that um, things are going to change. Whichever party is put in power, we, we don't know what the plan is, but you do. You see all things and your word promises that you rise up and you put down. So we lean into you and we ask that your purposes would be accomplished. Father, I pray for individuals who are running for the school boards. I pray for individuals who are running for Senate seats and for Congress, for mayoral offices. God, we pray for the President of the United States that whomever is placed in office would be a person to be found righteous, one who will chase after you. We don't know their relationship to you, Father, you do. We ask, God, that whomever is put in power, that they will be found as an individual who will surrender their heart completely to you, the living God. Father, we pray for that. We pray for Supreme Court justices who will be put in place during the next term. God, that you would raise up godly individuals, those who would enact actions from the bench that would be pleasing to you, that would be in keeping you with your principles. Father, we plead for this. We know that as a result of this, God, that with a godly president and with a godly court, this nation can be turned back to you. Perhaps in a way, God, that has never been seen before. Maybe we think as we look back we've seen a strong nation. Maybe you've got something to show us about how strong we can be in you. Father, teach us and show us, but we, pre, we, we pray and we plead that your purposes would be accomplished. I, I don't know, God, what's represented here in the way of individuals who think Democratic or think Republican in this auditorium or think independent. What, what unites us, though, is Jesus Christ. So we ask that your kingdom would reign and rule over this land and that we would become a light A bright, powerful light for the kingdom of Jesus to the world who desperately needs to know him. Let it begin with us, God. We pray for this in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. Have a great week, New Hope.